Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So will Trump be able to utilize all the information they get in Discovery? And the answer is, it doesn't look that way. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find it all at TonyKatz.com. The judge in the case, District Judge Tanya Chutkan, who's overseeing uh, everything, heard arguments about restrictions on evidence in the, the case, right? Trump uh, said, you come after me, we come after you, and therefore the special counsel said, oh, he's he's threatening us. We can't allow him to share this, that, or the other, or have this, etc." The judge has sided, for the most part, with Trump's defense attorneys on a protective order over the evidence, but told the prosecutors they can broaden which material is considered sensitive and should be protected. So, translation, these the special counsel is going to say, well, everything needs to be protected, and therefore uh, Trump's not going to be able to do much with it. Uh, the former president has a right to free speech, uh, but that right is, quote, not absolute. The, the exact quote is, Mr. Trump, like every American, has a First Amendment right to free speech, but that right is not absolute. In a criminal case such as this one, the defendant's speech is subject to the rules. Without a protective order, a party could release information that could taint the jury pool, intimidate witnesses, or others involved in some aspect of the case, or otherwise interfere with the, quote, process of justice. So translation trump is not going to be able to share everything that he may or his team may have wanted to share now we all know that this judge uh has been somebody who has been dealing with people involved with january 6th putting out sentences that are larger than even the prosecution was going for this doesn't seem to be somebody who uh is a fan of donald trump in any way, uh, shape, or, or form. The judge uh, pointed out, uh, saying, quote, the fact that he is running a political campaign currently has to yield to the administration of justice. And if that means he can't say exactly what he wants to say in a political speech, that is just how it's going to have to be. And of course, people are going to view this and say, this is keeping Donald Trump from being able to campaign. This is an attack. You can just, you can hear it. Oh, you can hear it. It's like the whole trial date. I won't even get into the trial date right now. I'll get to the trial date uh, later. Uh, The defendant's desire to conduct a campaign to respond to political opponents has to yield. Um, Hmm. Hmm. I do not know how that's going to be taken. I mean, I I know it's going to be taken by, by, um, uh, Trump defenders. I know it's going to be taken by Trump haters. I wonder how America hears that, right? Trump haters are thrilled. Ah, good. Now he has to shut up. Trump uh, acolytes are going to be like, how dare you tell him what whether or not he has free speech? And people are going to be like, well, what do you get to say and not get to say when you've got a, a situation like this? I don't know. People are going to come to different sides. They're going to come to some other thought process. Um, I only argue the following. That they say, well, it's because Trump sent out this tweet. If you come after me, we go after you. That's not it. This would have happened anyway. This would have happened anyway. Sooner or later, whatever the case may be, 
This would have happened. Trying to keep Trump from speaking absolutely would have happened no matter what. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. One could describe it as unintended consequences. But one should ask why it had to be to begin with. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Unintended consequences have to do with legislation or has to do with legislation in the state of Indiana that says, hey, if your kid is using a different name, a nickname, you got to let the parents know. Well, this has created a lot of paperwork, and I engaged this conversation uh, in, in depth earlier today. You have to let the parents know, and people are like, well, this is a waste of time. As a matter of fact, there was a whole article about it in the Indy Star because of, well, of course it was in the Indy Star. Parents annoyed as pronoun law requires Indiana schools to report all nickname requests. Parents are annoyed. Well, you know, this was about uh, boys who say they're girls or girls who say they're boys and teachers who want to keep information from parents. So now uh, when uh, Anthony goes to school and wants to be called Tony, there's a form that has to be filled out. True story. There's a form that has to be filled out. What are the nicknames your kids use? What is acceptable? And you fill it out. I get you. It's ridiculous. Do you know why it's ridiculous? Because when Benjamin wants to be called Ben, it makes perfect sense. And if Samantha wants to be called Sam, also is quite fine. But when Steve wants to be called Sally, maybe that requires some parental notification. And there are too many teachers and administrators and others who say we shouldn't have to do that. It endangers the child. If the teachers and the administrators, oh God, look at me. Look at me with a theme today. If they would just be normal. That's all you gotta do. You don't like this stuff? Okay, I'm with you. If the teachers and the administrators would just be normal. And these people who are proudly like, I have a transgender child. Whoa, 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 whoa. That would mean you already know. And we should be clear, this is social contagion. And you should be very, very careful with your child. You get to raise your kid. But if you're allowing your child to take hormones, take puberty blockers, and engage in surgeries, I do think that's abuse. And this is not a society that is well if we're allowing that to happen. And giving in to children, your nine-year-old says, I'm this and I'm that, and you're like, well, okay. That's wrong. Isn't that the whole conversation? I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. I don't I never knew if it was Neo or Neo. Which one is it, Jonathan? Is it Nee or is it Nay? Singer, um the whole story of him questioning these things that he is not okay with this idea of gender affirming care for kids and his publicist came out and said whoa, whoa whoa he didn't mean this he didn't mean that and then he came out and said whoa 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 whoa, whoa. i said what i said 
I will not be bullied into apologizing for having an opinion is exactly what he said on video on Instagram. People, he, he, he drew backlash after an interview where he uh, said, you know, it's wrong that parents allow their kids to undergo gender transition surgery. And you got away, God love the way uh, uh, USA t- Today puts it, who allow their kids to go and then in parentheses, often life-saving, close parentheses, gender transition surgery. Oh, you people are gross. Gross. If you allow a nine-year-old to make these decisions, you're not a parent. Nine-year-olds can, what else can they decide to do? They'll be like, yep, I back you 100%. Let's go do that. You have to stand up for your children. Children need to be protected more often than not from themselves. You have to love them enough to say no. And there are a lot of parents who are under a tremendous amount of pressure to do this, do that, lose their children, have their children taken from them, the whole thing. It's it's nuts. If we would just be normal, we wouldn't be seeing these issues in schools. If teachers, not all teachers, but far too many teachers, if administrators, not all administrators, but far too many administrators, would recognize that parents play an integral role and you don't keep things from them, we wouldn't have to go through this nonsense. But they want to keep things from parents. They see parents as the enemy. So the entire school system has to be broken in two. The unions have to be broken. The the system has to be broken and parents have to take back education. And if that means homeschooling, it means homeschooling. If it means charter schools, it means charter schools. But public education, if this is the way it's going to be, is a failure. I say this as my kids go to public school, and I'm super impressed with what's happening with them. But they don't actually get exposed to any of the woke stuff. Maybe it's because uh, they uh, of their parents. Maybe it's because of their own uh, fortitude. Maybe they're just too dopey to notice. I don't know. They know things are happening, but they don't. It's like it doesn't bother them. It doesn't infiltrate into their lives, which I'm thankful for. But if you're annoyed by the fact that you have to fill out what your kid's nickname is, remember that if the teachers and the unions and the administrators had just been normal, none of this would be going on. Just be normal. Parents get to know what's going on with their kids. And when their kid Tommy says they're Susie, parents should be told. And anyone who thinks otherwise is weird. Maybe saying they're weird isn't, isn't enough. It's, it's, it's not just weird. It's, it's flat out dangerous, right? You don't think that parents should know what's going on with their kids, which is another way of saying you are willing to keep information from parents. That's weird. It's dangerous and it's weird. And it is By every standard, not only abusive, but predatory. As a concept, the idea of shh, don't tell your parents, or shh, I won't tell your parents, or shh, it's our little secret. That's the stuff we were warned about with those ABC after school specials. And now we have a society that says, good, 
Because the parents can't be trusted. I must state that any organization that starts with, well, parents can't be trusted, and parents aren't good to their kids, and parents throw their kids out if they learn this or they learn that, those organizations are not organizations to support. Those organizations are not organizations uh, to, to want to work with, whether it's with your time or with your dollars. How disgusting. Because that argument is... Don't trust parents, rip the parent from the child, engage in the cleaving of the child away from the parent, and give the child agency. If the child has agency, the child can determine their own medical decisions. The child can uh, determine their, their own future. And then, of course, who they love and who they have sexual relationships with. What? It doesn't go all the way down the line? Of course it does. It is everything that the people who've been saying the term groomer have been worried about and warning against. It only goes in one direction. As a matter of fact, allow me to put forth that there actually is no other direction. My argument does not do away with certain realities. There may be parents who don't handle these things well. And there may be parents who get angry at their kid for feeling a certain way. And there may be parents who throw a child out of the home. I don't say no that that can happen. I don't even say no to the fact that that has happened. But the idea that parents shouldn't be informed because of that minority group, you're insane. And the term groomer fits. That ain't my fault. It's not my fault that a bit of terminology fits what it is that these other groups, these other people are proactively supporting. None of this, as I was saying, none of this about your, your name should even be a conversation, just be normal. But the issue is the culture war presented by the political left. This is a culture war presented by the political left where they said, we can take your kid, your kid can decide that they are a different gender, they can have surgeries, they can take medicines, and there's nothing you can do about it because that proves that you are the problem and you're a detriment to your child. Holy cow. They did this, and people said, wait, 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 it's my kid. And then the left screams, my gosh, look at this culture war you're having. I don't give a damn if a Hoosier parent is annoyed by having to fill out a form. You know what? Too bad for you. You want to blame somebody? Blame the progressives who think they should have more control of your children than parents. Than you. Blame them for starting this fight and actually thinking that a boy could decide they're a girl or a girl could decide they're a boy, which they can't do. Blame them for not protecting children. Well, now you've got these Republicans who create these ridiculous laws and now we have to fill out these forms. You mean blame the people who actually believe that you should know what's going on with your kids? Blame them? Kiss off! Blame them! Blame Republicans? Dude, if you're blaming Republicans because the political left thinks that your boy is a girl if they just say so and should be allowed to physically alter themselves, you're weird. The left started this fight. The left came after your kids. And weirdly, they support the people who come after your kids because, of course, it's coming after your kids. There is no other way to describe it. 
Uh, it was um, uh, Fingers Malloy, who I do Eat, Drink, Smoke with. Uh, EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. Uh, Fingers has his own uh, radio show in, in Michigan. Fingers, for a long time, was a columnist for the Washington Times Online. Uh, Fingers is very good at these things. And he asked a question. He goes, I want to see the data. I want to see the chart on the following. The number of people in America who are actually transgender and the number of transgender activists. And it's his theory that the number of activists would dwarf the number of people who are actually quote-unquote transgender. Because it is about the ideology. Really, this is me talking, the Marxism. The destruction of Western culture, the destruction of Western civilization, and the cleaving of children from their parents, the breaking of the family unit. The breaking of the nuclear family, which is the the, the cornerstone, the bedrock, the, the, the foundation of Western civilization. Break that apart. That's what the Marxists have been trying to do for decades. This is just the new way, and people are buying into it. People are celebrating it because clearly, I think we could say anecdotally, the number of activists well outweighs the number of actual people who feel a certain way. I don't think there's any question in the world, in the world, about that fact. That was an unbelievably astute observation uh, from Fingers Malloy, for sure. Parents are right to demand to know what's going on with their children, and teachers should want them to know. Teachers have been talking about parents having to be involved in their kids' education for years, and then parents got involved, and all of a sudden it was, whoa, 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 we didn't mean actually say something. We didn't mean actually talk. And this isn't all teachers. I, you know, I mentioned it before. Let me say it again. It's never all teachers. It's not all administrators. It's just too many teachers and too many administrators, which is why the unions must be broken, the system must be broken, and we must accept the fact that public education, as as a thought, has failed because it's no longer education, it's indoctrination. And if you say to me, well, you want the Pledge of Allegiance every day, right? That's indoctrination. You mean loving the nation that allows you to speak freely? Yeah, yeah, I think you should. And if you think that saying the Pledge of Allegiance is akin to hiding from parents that Joey thinks he's Sheila, you're weird. See how that works? See how I say that without any hesitation whatsoever? I so Facts are facts. They're pretty easy to put out there into the world. All you got to do is look at them and say, yep, it's just that easy. Now, public education needs to be ripped asunder. It needs to be ripped asunder. And we need to focus on what actually has to happen, which is children being allowed to be children and parents not giving in to a child's every whim, loving your children enough not to do that. That has to happen. And that involves reminding teachers and quote unquote educators, administrators, et cetera, that they have an important and vital role to play in our society. But that role is not the top of the pecking order. The parent is in charge. Always, and sometimes, sometimes it's sad, but there's no other way to make society work and grow and thrive. It can't be done. And if that means we have to do away with one of the things, we do away with public education. Because the parent has to remain. 
You can't leave raising children to the state. They'll never be your children again. I'm Tony Katz. The Colts begin preseason and the era of uh, Mr. Richardson has begun. Anthony Richardson to his friends. He will start against Buffalo. He'll play a quarter. Uh, honestly, why not let him play the half? What's what he the the injury fear is 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 that it? The injury fear. He only plays a, a quarter. The guy needs time. He is a rookie quarterback, and no matter how many physical assets the dude has, he needs time to develop. I say get him as much a practice time uh, in those game situations as humanly possible. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. JMV joins us from 93.51075, the fan in Indianapolis. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. There is zero surprise, JMV, zero Surprise that Anthony Richardson is the starter. Worst kept secret in all of America. But why in the world are they only going to play this guy a quarter? I think that's a mistake. Well, I will say this, Tony. I agree with you as far as the volume that he needs. He needs every chance, uh, I think, that, that he can get. Uh, it does make sense. I think it's going to be more about the number of plays, Tony, than it is a number of plays, you know, series, for example, more than it is just all right, once the first quarter is over, then he's out and Gardner Minshew's in. So I would look more for that aspect of it to play, the amount of plays, you know, what they're able to do and work around that playbook in those particular plays, whether they're able to sustain a drive or, you know, if it's snuffed out, hopefully get him into those situations against another team and a defense that's much better than the Colts. I'm assuming, even with not their front liners in there for the most part, coming at him. So it does make sense to me. It does, but you also do. And you mentioned going down this path is exactly the way that it had to occur. And that's what it did. And again, I'll tell you this, I think it sets the stage week. Number one, Anthony Richardson under center. Both of us agree. That's exactly what should happen. But you know what, before you ask the next question, remember a year ago in Buffalo, the offensive line played horribly. This was the one group played horribly. And we just kind of said, Hey, you know what? It's the preseason. Don't worry about it. They'll be fine. That set the tone for this offensive line group for the remainder of the season. I mean, it was awful. So those are things that you can gather. In the preseason does not matter. The way that you're able to execute and the way that you look against like uh, one teams, two teams, whatever, is very important, and that's what we're going to watch for tomorrow. Stick with quarterback for for a second. Uh, Gardner Minshew, uh, who's in his fourth year, not a veteran when we talk about veteran quarterbacks or journeyman quarterbacks by any stretch, but certainly a fan favorite, a guy people like, and yes, a guy who can throw the ball. He accepts the fact that he's the backup quarterback on the Colts and could be for as long as he wants to be behind Anthony Richardson. Like, is is there a real fight here for a starter role, or does he know exactly his role and he's down with it? I think he knows his role, Tony. He does. He's known his role since he's been in the NFL because for the most part, that's been it. And he has been a terrific story. He's a great conversation but he is a backup. The long-term future in what the Colts hope here is that of Anthony Richardson. So he is there. And I've mentioned this to you before, I think. There are two reasons why, to me, you would see Gardner Minshew in a game, and they're both bad. And that is an injury to Richardson or just extreme ineffectiveness from Richardson that would lead the Colts to go ahead and make that change. Both are not good. Both Colts fans don't want to see he has accepted his role. He understands his role. He's going to be at the ready. But Colts fans 
you don't want to see him other than the preseason. That's the hope. Sticking with quarterbacks, Matt Ryan all of a sudden decided he wants to talk the former Colts quarterback, the former longtime Atlanta Falcons quarterback, Matty Ice. The end of career with Colts was a blank show. Um, first, yeah, that that's that is accurate, Matt. Uh, secondly, what is he saying in this interview here? And did it make sense to say it? Like, is he calling out the Colts here, or is he calling out himself? Is he saying that the career is done? He's never going to go back, or maybe the stuff with CBS Sports will lead to one or two more years in the NFL. Well, I mean, part of that blank show ended up getting him in twenty-three million dollars this season, of which he's not you know, playing. So he should at least feel good about that. I I do. I think he recognizes that he was a part of it, but I don't believe he inserted himself into that. I think his opinion was more on Jim Ursay and his insertion a year ago in, you know, making the switch from Frank Reich ultimately to, to uh, Jeff Saturday. And and probably the biggest thing here is the fact that it was Jim Ursay who wanted to get Sellinger out there and bench Matt Ryan. That was Jim Ursay. I still, to this day, Tony, I want to know what both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich saw in the 90 minutes of tape it took them to watch Matt Ryan to assess him and then believe that he still had plenty of time, plenty of gas left in the tank because from the opening gate, it didn't look like he had anything left. They thought maybe four more years. He didn't look like he had four more plays left in any of these games. So that's kind of what I want to know. But, yeah, I, I think it was more about just the surroundings in which he was involved in than it was just how bad he was, and he was as bad as any quarterback has been around here. He was definitely a part of that blank show a year ago. Talking to JMV from 93.5107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Let's bring it over to running back, where, of course, everything has been about Jonathan Taylor, his agent, the back and forth with Jim Ursay. Running backs uh, don't get paid uh, what they used to. He has been out. Back issues, not back issues. First things first, JMV. Does he have a problem with his back? Second thing second, will he be back to practice next week? And third thing third, who the bloody heck is the running back for the Colts? <laughs> well, I mean, you got, you know, you got uh, a laundry, Evan Hall, for example, is a fifth round pick. It's funny. You look at Evan Hall going into tomorrow and you, you probably got to play him as if he's in bubble wrap. I mean, you do, you got to make sure that he comes out of this unscathed because of the running back situations. I mean, to start the season, it is still a great unknown. I'll give you a couple of things right here. Once with Jonathan Taylor, I think that this is just a ploy. I honestly do. I think that his representation is trying to figure out a way how Jonathan Taylor can still get paid and not play for this team. I believe that to be the case. And, again, I could be proven wrong. Maybe it is uh, a longer-lasting thing with his surgically repaired ankle. I just have my doubts about that. Uh, He may be trying to sidestep that whole off-premises injury, non-football-related stuff that was leaked to the local Colts riders here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Maybe he's trying to sidestep that. But to me, I bet you they're trying to exercise an opportunity here to get him paid without him playing for this team. And what I think it does is it further escalates the fact that this is breaking apart to a point. If he's able to get paid and not play, then 
you wonder if the Colts end up breaking down, going against the grain of what Jim Mercer said, and trying to find another spot for him on another team. Meantime, you look at Kareem Hunt early in the week, and this makes zero sense to me. I oh, know the, that the, they the need possibility that of the of the signing Kareem Hunt. He played with Kansas City. He was with the Browns, yeah. and he's got like eight or nine years on on, on him in, in the NFL. I think eight years. And there was a there was a serious plan to try and sign him. Yeah, I mean, according to national writers, that the Colts actually made an offer. Actually made an offer to Kareem Hunt. I thought all along, Tony, that he had just visited New Orleans. And all these national writers said the same thing because they get all their info from his representation. They said, great visit, but now, hey, the Colts are really interested, and now he's off on a jet to Indy to give them a look-see here. So I always thought that that was his representation trying to build up the value for his client in New Orleans but according to those that cover the NFL at the highest levels, the Colts made an offer. And if that position is so disposable, if you really, truly, Tony, don't need Jonathan Taylor, and clearly they've made that line in the sand from top to bottom completely known, so you're going to tell me this is the guy? This is the guy you're going to go with? And even beyond his off-the-field crap in the past, he's been completely ineffective. I mean, he has not at all put up any numbers. Last year, he was a pain in Cleveland early. He wanted out. He wanted to trade himself. So the ineffective nature of just him in general, it just defies all logic why the Colts, if you need a camp body, get a camp body. You know, they got Jason Huntley's a camp body. Get him. That's fine. But you don't need to mess with Kareem Hunt in this situation, especially if you view the running back through the prism of Jonathan Taylor in the fashion in which you do. It just didn't make any sense to me. Let's take a step back here, JMV, talking to JMV, mm-hmm. the voice of sports in Indiana. And let's just a real quick uh, on the rundown. You called Jason Huntley a camp body. I'm not so yeah. sure. Jonathan Taylor, out. Zach Moss, broken arm. Sorry to hear mm-hmm. it. You've got Deion Jackson. You've got Evan Hall. They signed Jason Huntley. They signed Kenyon Drake, which no one's talking about. And yeah. then you've got my guy, Jake Funk, who I just want to see play, so they'll play the music. We want the funk because Lucas Oil is going to sound amazing when that happens. Um, you're telling me that Jason Huntley can't play? And yeah. what about Kenyon Drake? Because he at least has played and has seen uh, uh, moments of success. Yeah. No, 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 you're right. He's played in, in places in which you would say the style of quarterback would be befitting of his talent in the backfield. However, don't you question? You got Kenyon Drake signed. He's here. He's been working out for the past week with your team, but you bring in Kareem Hunt, too. I mean, Kareem Hunt's not a camp body. I mean, that's something that you're going to have to get past a couple of different directions. You're going to have to get past the fact that he has a past, and you're going to have to answer those questions, and then you're going to have to explain to everybody, you know, why you believe that he is going to be. That, that is a, a season-long signing right there if you do it. And that's the part I, I didn't understand if you had Kenyon Drake. So to me, Kenyon Drake's not impressed. And the fact that they need a camp body that Jason Huntley has, I know a history of being in Philly, but it's a very small history. They just need bodies that running back right now. And that's exactly what he is. Kareem Hunt was different. Maybe, Hey, maybe Tony in closing here, it was just a ploy. Maybe he was saying to the representation of Jonathan Taylor, Hey, we're really serious. We don't need you right here. We'll go and get this guy that has at least accomplishments in production in the past. But uh, I don't see any other way why you'd screw around in the fashion of what they did with Hunt. And uh, they need camp bodies. And that's why Huntley's there. Your percentage, your odds, 
that the season starts and Jonathan Taylor is not in uniform playing. Well, it's I, I said zero, I think, a couple of weeks ago to you when all this saga first started. Um, I would say it is in the 70% category right now. Wow. It just kind of seems like both sides are going to go ahead and cross their arms and say, hey, this is where we are and that's going to be it. I, I would not be surprised, and I think I went against the grain with this with you a couple of weeks ago too. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried now to reverse course and find him a seat someplace else. I, I don't know what the alternative is going to be considering all the cards both sides have played in this. seems like they're both very strong in their positioning. So I would not be surprised if the Colts reserve a reverse course and went ahead and tried to find him another place. We'll see. They're not going to get anything for him. I mean, it's going to be low ball city from everybody. But that no longer would surprise me. So I'd say 70% that he will not suit up with the Colts. And you're looking at, in this preseason game, uh, it's a 1 o'clock game against the Bills in Buffalo. You're taking a serious look at that offensive line. Anything else uh, you're looking at for early indicators? Uh, Tony, two things we haven't talked about at all because of this Jonathan Taylor saga has been the offensive line and the secondary. Watch for the corners. I don't know how much time, how many plays they're going to get. But this is a very inexperienced group, especially compared to what you had a year ago. Uh, that's going to be a group to watch if they're put in those situations against the pass. So those two things right there, I think, would stand out to me, um, other than the fact that Anthony Richardson is going to be out there and he's going to be under the microscope every single play. JMV, 93.5, The Fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. Always appreciate you taking the time to be with us. There is more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. <laughs> This conversation that Tucker Carlson had with uh, the former Capitol Police chief, this, this is important. Because it, I, I'm not saying that everything the Capitol Police chief is, is saying is is the is 100% the truth. I, I, I don't get to say that about anybody. I have no reason to believe this guy is lying. I do have questions about what it is he's saying, and I would like to know what is the what are the facts here specifically regarding the January 6th committee and speaker Nancy Pelosi Tony Katz Tony Katz today great to be with you so Tucker had done i guess this interview with Stephen Sund a former Capitol police chief about January 6th and Fox News didn't air it. They refused to air it. Whatever that case was, which, you know, Fox has certainly come back in the ratings, but they're always going to have this deficit now. They, they did this. They did this, and there are repercussions to actions. Fox didn't air it, wouldn't air it, whatever the case may be. So Tucker had this guy back to talk to him, to do an interview with him. Let me share with you just a, a, a couple minutes of it. This is what got discussed. It just seems like the denial of your request to have National Guardsmen who are within eyesight, you saw them, to have them help, that is it, that's a pivotal moment on that day. Mm -hmm. And we know the name of the man who made that decision, and we still don't know why he made that decision. And that's just shocking to me. What, has he ever answered that question? No, he's, he, he's uh, never answered that question specifically that I'm aware of. Uh, and I do know when they were talking about the J6 uh, committee coming out, I think it was um, Representative Benny Thompson that had said Speaker Pelosi is off limits. 
So they wouldn't get any of her records or phone records. What do you mean you know, she's off limits? I believe that was one of the things he said, that, that her coming into this was she was off limits to the uh, inquiries of the January 6th. Well, she was running the house that day. I hear you. I hear you. Um, <laughs> that, I mean, if we're truly trying to get to the bottom of this, trying to find out what happened. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, I mean, that's um, insane. You know, you would be getting everyone's records. I've been forthright. All my phone records have been turned over. And like I said, there's a, a description of all the numerous calls I made requesting approval. Think about it. In that, thir- in that 71 minutes, I called in 17 police agencies, 1,700 officers to help us get the capital back. And it also made those 11 calls trying to find out where. You are as precise as an airline pilot in, in your recollection of oh. things. I, I, you, so, yes. I, and I think everything you, you have said is, pr- is provable. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are not. The, the book's all based on fact. You can go through it. I reckon, um, reference all the facts I have, footnote. You get access to a lot of the intelligence. I mean, you know, it's it's fact. And my my story hasn't changed in two and a half years. So the, I'm just to circle back to this Paul Irving, who played played a pivotal role. I think whose name is unknown to most people, even people who follow what happened on January sixth. What happened to him? Um, no idea. He uh, he disappeared shortly shortly thereafter. Haven't haven't heard uh, much from him. Paul Irving was the sergeant at arms for the House of Representatives. He resigned the next day the day after January 6th. But the, the the moment of, wait a second, I want to know more about this. Nancy Pelosi was off limits regarding an investigation on January 6th? You're telling me the January 6th committee was told they weren't allowed to ask questions of Nancy Pelosi? There were no depositions, no grabbing a video, no audio, no nothing? Je- Pelosi was off limits? When she played a pivotal role as Tucker Carlson pointed out that day. That I want to know more about. That I want to know much more about. I want Democrats on the January 6th committee, like Adam Kinzinger, see what I did there, to explain if they didn't talk to Pelosi and why not. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Today.